We are learning Daf Kuf Nun Hey, but we're starting still from the bottom of Kuf Nun Dalim Bez. We're in the middle of a machlokas about using the tzadim of a tree, so the sides of a tree. The issue is, a Chazal said, a person can't make usage of trees on Shabbos. The reason is because a person might come to rip off a branch, which is a violation of Kotzer. The question is, did Chazal only prohibit using the natural, normal usage of tree? Or even the tzadim, even the side. So we're up to Limakatanai. Let's say that the machlokas of Rabbah and Abai about this is really machlokas tanon. It says in one bride, you're not allowed to go up into a sukkah on Yantif, into the sukkah on Yantif. You could go up on Yantif. So obviously, we're talking about a case where a sukkah is made by two regular man made walls, and one is formed by a tree, like we looked at yesterday. And now we're having a dispute whether technically the sukkah is good, but could I use it on Yantif? One person is saying you could. We're not concerned that you're going to use the tree. And one opinion is saying you're not, you're not allowed because you might use the tree. Now, presumably the issue is that the schach is resting, is going to be resting upon uh, something that is connected to the tree. In other words, if it's resting on the tree itself, it would definitely be an issue to use the schach, like to keep the utensils on it, take the utensils off. But we must be assuming that it's, the stock is not resting directly on the tree, but on something connected to the tree. So my lava kamufuki, what's the root of the question? Tanakama holds that the sides of the tree are usher. So if, if the schach is connected to something that's, that's with the tree, then it would be a problem. And Mayor holds it's okay. So the machlokas, what we're saying is really machlokas on So Mar says, lo, you're not right for necessarily assuming that. Everybody could be assuming that studim are usher, the sides of the tree are usher to use. Here they're arguing about the sides of the sides. Meaning if you're going to use the, the, let's say you like carve out in the tree like a hole and you put some plank walls in them, that would be the, if you're going to be using those plank walls themselves, that would be the sides of the tree. But here you're using the schach, which is beyond the plank. So it's basically a, a side to a side. You have the tree, then you have the plank wall, which goes through the tree. And then on top of that, you have the schach. So you're not really using just the sides. It's really the sides of the sides. Marsafer tzidei is anasir. Tanakama holds even the size of the sides is asir. Marsafer Amir holds tzidei staldin utar, and that the sides of the sides are mutter. So according to what we're saying here, everybody agrees that the regular one side of a tree is asir. We're arguing with the sides of the sides that it's two steps removed. Whether or not that's a problem, says the Gemara. Rava Amar, no. Rava doesn't buy the distinction between staldin and staldin. Staldin manda also be staldin. Whoever asir is using the side of the tree, asir nami staldin staldin. Where asir also using the side of the side. Manda sharbet tzidei whoever is manda using the side of the side, shor nami staldin would be manda using just the one side as well. So if there's a machlokas tanam here about tzidei tzadim, then that means there's a machlokas about tzadim. So Rava is saying that the truth is that it is a machlokas tanam about tzadim. So Rava doesn't buy the distinction between tzadim and tzadim tzadim, whereas the first opinion did. Says the Gemara, it's very mishash of Rava. So mishash asks from Rava, there's no distinction between tzadim and tzadim tzadim, but it says in the Bryce, no at Yasuvilan, someone someone sticks a stake into a tree, the talabakalkala, and then they hang the basket on the stake. And they're putting the Erev there. So we're talking about an Erev, Erev Tchuman. A person wants to establish that this is where his place is on Shabbos. And Afkimina is, you know, whether you can go 2,000 Amos beyond the Tchum. So, so the question is that you want to put yourself in an opportunity to go more than 2,000 Amos from your house. You basically are establishing a new residence somewhere else um, within the 2,000 Amos. And then you're going to say, this is my residence and I can go 2,000 Amos from there. So you have to put bread there. But the idea is that the bread has to be accessible. It has to be within the tum of it. It has to be in a place that you're able to get it. So usually, it's not a problem. Just put it there on the, on the ground. What's the problem? You can get it. But here, the case is... 
that you're hanging a basket onto a stake that's on the tree and the air is in the basket. So if Lumama is hard tvachim, the basket is hanging above ten tvachim, in a rubber air, it's not going to be in a good air because it's above ten tvachim. Presumably the basket is four tvachim. So that means the basket's a rishasayachid. It's above ten tvachim and four tvachim wide. So it has the dimensions of rishasayachid. So you can't take the air out because you're, put, you're in the street and to take it out, to eat it, would be, taking, would be facilitating a transfer between rishasayachid and rishasayachid. So therefore the air is not affected. But if the basket is hanging lower than ten tefachim, if the air is good, because you're able to take it out of the basket and use it, so we can make an inference. Time the the chose a case specifically here, where you put the stake into the tree first, and then you're hanging the basket on it. You're not hanging the basket directly from the tree. Although not, it sounds if like you wouldn't, but putting the stake into the tree. But if you would just want to hang the basket from the tree. Then the Arab would not be good, even if it's lower than 10 Tfachim. So what's the idea? The idea would be, because then it would be using the tree. You'd be using the side of the tree, because since it's, it's hanging on the branch, that would be a problem. But if it's hanging on the peg, on the stake that's, hanging, that, 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 that's on the tree, that would be Tzidet Tzadim. So it sounds like there's a distinction, right? We see the Tanakama saying you can't use the sides of the tree, right? That's why he's saying you can't use the basket that's directly hung from the tree. And still, the Kashar, but Sadi Sadim, we're still Matar if it's the side of the side. So, how could Rabba say that there's no distinction between Sadim and Sadim? Sadim, here clearly we see there's such a distinction because that's why we're talking about the case that the Arab is hanging from the stake that's on the tree as opposed to hanging from the tree itself. So, the Gemara answers, Amar Papa, no, we're dealing with a, a, a basket that has very, very narrow mouth. So, you literally have to go, like, force your hand inside. Either Shakala Arab, so when you're going, if it would be hanging from the tree, if when you would go now to take the Arab, come out of the Elon. It would end up shaking the tree. You would end up using the tree itself. That's for sure, Asr. So therefore we say, don't hang it directly from the tree. You have to hang it directly from a peg. But it's not a question. If it would be a big basket, we would let you hang it from the tree itself. It would only be Tzadim. So it could be that the Tana holds that Tzadim is Mutter. And the only thing we're concerned for is that you're not with the Elan itself. And since we're talking about a very narrow basket, that's why we said you need to hang it from the stake. But were it not to be a very narrow basket, had a wider opening, then in fact it would be okay even if it was hanging from a branch. Now the Gemara Paskins, Hilchasa, what's the halacha? Tzadim Asr, and the sides of the tree are Asr, but the sides of the sides are in fact mutter. Now that you said that the sides of the tree are usher, let's say you have a ladder that's going up. So let's say, like Rashi gives an example, it's leading to a tower. So it's on top of poles, this tower, and uh, you have to put a ladder next to the trees to get up all the way to the top. So if you have this ladder, you shouldn't lean it onto a palm tree next to the tower, that really it's because then you're going to be using the sides of the tree and it's also because since it's, le- it's, it's, it's leaning on the tree, it will be tzadim and tzadim are forbidden. However, what should you do? You should put it, you should stick it on some stake that's coming out of the tree. So therefore it's only the size of the side and therefore it would be okay. When you go up, you should make sure that you're not putting your foot onto the stake because the stake is its stadim. You have to make sure to put your foot on the rungs of the ladder, which is only tzide, stadim, the side of the side of the tree. Okay, now the Mishnah continues here with the idea of preparing food for an animal. So basically what we're looking at is that if the animal is dependent on you for food, the rabbis were said that you can feed it on, on Shabbos. But the issue is, are you allowed to do a lot of terkel? We don't want you doing a lot of terkel. This is Durabon and Iser. Of, of, of a lot of exertion for food, and we'll see exactly what's mutter and what's aser in feeding animals on Shabbos. So the Mishnah says, you can, undie, you can untie bundles of straw so that the animal can eat it. In other words, they're tied together, and you have to untie them so the animal can eat it. So you're allowed to do that. When a is a keep in, you can also scatter keep in. 
So it seems that the, 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 they would scatter them, they would make it more like, um, entice the animals more to eat because when they're all together, then they, they, they don't like give a smell that makes the animal wants to eat them. So if you scatter them, you, then they will. The animal will go to eat them. So you can scatter out the keeping for the animal to eat. Avaloa says zirin, but not the zirin. And we'll see exactly in the Gemara what, what the distinction is. You're not allowed to cut up uh, animal fodder or caribs in front of an animal to eat. And Rashi says there's a lot of tercha involved. And you could eat it the way it is. So if you're going to do more, it's 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 tercha, which is beyond what is necessary and it's forbidden. And again, we'll see more of these details in the Gemara. And this is true that you can't cut up the animal fodder or the caribs, whether it's a big animal or a, sim, or a small animal, it's all authored. Review does matter cutting up the carob for a small animal because the teeth are very small. So it's going to be hard for it to chew unless it's first cut up for, for it. So review does matter for the small animal to cut up the caribs. Okay, so first for now, we learn two different understandings of the Mishnah. The first understanding, Amar Avuna, Hain and Pekin and Kivin. Really, Pekin and Kivin are the same thing. They're both, they're both bundles of straw. So what's the difference between them? Pekin and Shrey. Pekin are, are the bundles that have two ties. Kivin are bundles that are tied with three times. Meaning, the question is, are they tied just at the ends or also in the middle? So, but they're, they're, they're essentially the same thing here. The point is, you can untie the straw for the animal to eat. Zirin, when we Mishnah said zirin is also the arzi. That's talking about pieces of cedars. We're talking about branches that come from a cedar tree. So when they're still moist, the animal could eat it. But most people don't do that. Most people leave them out to dry and then they'll use them for, 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 for wood on Shabbos. So, I'm sorry, not on Shabbos. They'll use them as, as, as firewood. That's the point. So, 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 so the, the zirin, the arzi, means specifically these moist branches that comes from the cedar and the cedar trees that could theoretically be um, used for an animal to eat, but that's not what the pasha is, what they're used for. So, common is what the mission means to say, and you're allowed to untie the pekian, the double bound bundle of straw, or, and then scatter it out. Who has in the keeping? The same thing for the keeping, which is the triple bound straw, and you could spread them out. Avaloza is but you're not allowed for zirin. This, the, the branches of the, of the cedar, you're not allowed to, if it's not straw, but rather this, these, these moist, Cedar branches, you're not allowed to do anything with them. You can't scatter it, you can't untie it, you can't do anything with the cedar, cedar branches. What's the distinction? When we're talking about straw, we're saying you can untie it, you can scatter it, you can do whatever you want. But when you're dealing with the moist cedar branches, you can't do. What's the reason? Because you're allowed to do tercha to a food that exists. In other words, you have, let's say, straw. Straw was already existed. It was food for the animal. So even though there might be a lot of tercha to untie it and scatter it, it's fine. As long as it's already a food and you're just... The exertion is just there so that the animal will eat the food, that's fine. But to do exertion, to turn it into a food, you're not allowed to turn it into a food on Shabbos. So meaning the cedar branches, where they weren't viewed as being food before Shabbos, because most people would just leave them and to dry out to be for firewood. So since the way they are right now before Shabbos, the pasta says they're not going to be used for animal food. If you're going to go and untie them and scatter them in front of the animal, you're doing more than just doing tercha for the animal. You're actually making it a food. So therefore, you're not allowed to do that. So according to the first view, you're allowed to take any existing food and do tercha to actually fit it to the animal, untie the bundles of the straw and scatter it in front of them, so on and so forth. But to make something into food, take the moist cedar branches and turn them into food by putting them in front of the animal, that is forbidden. Says the Gemara, second way of understanding the Mishnah, a very different understanding. Where if you darain pekin and zirin, actually pekin and zirin are the same thing. They're both straw. Pekin and tray pekin are bound twice. These and zirin are bound three times. Keepin to arzi and the keepin are the cedar. The keepin 
are the cedar branches. This is what the Mishnah is saying. My You can untie the bundles of straw before the animal, but you cannot scatter them. You can untie them and not scatter them. And keeping the, the, the cedar branches, there you can even scatter and on, you can even unscatter them. Not only untie them, you can even scatter them. But this does not apply to the triple bundles to scattering. It only is for untying. So we're saying straw that's tied up, it's mutter to untie them, but you cannot scatter, scatter it. But the cedar branches, it is mutter to even scatter them. So you can untie the bundles of straw, but not scatter them. And for the cedar branches, you're allowed to untie and scatter them. I'm a rubber, my time interview. What's going on here? You're allowed to make the food edible for the animal. Dafka, the cedar branches, to turn it into food, that's fine. Because you're not doing excessive tercha, you're turning it into the food. So that's mutter, to untie it and to scatter it. It's all viewed as, um, as, 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 as part of making it a food. Because the cedar branches, the animal's not going to eat them unless it's scattered. So it's all part of the category of making food. Making food is fine. But the opposite, when, it's not, when it already is a food and you just want to enhance how the animal will eat it, but you can't exert yourself more just to enhance the way the animal's going to eat the food. So straw, which is food in itself, whether it's scattered or not scattered, you could untie it so the animal can get it, but you cannot scatter it because that's viewed as enhancement of food. And enhancement of food is not much or it's excessive terrible. But, if they, but when you're dealing with the cedar, which is not food that the way it is, and the animal's only gonna, go to, only gonna get it if you untie it and scatter it, then it's mutter to do it because you're making the food. So we have really different opposing views in Rav Huna and Rav, and Rav Yudha. There's two types of issues, turning non-food into food, and then there's enhancing it, the eating experience for the animal. So according to the first opinion, Rav Huna, we were saying that you can't turn anything into food, so you can't use the cedar twig branches and, and scatter them or untie them to help out because you're turning into food, but you couldn't do anything that enhances the food. So you could do anything for a straw, you could untie it, scatter it, that was all mutter. According to the second opinion, you cannot scatter straw because you're enhancing for food. It's unnecessary terichah. The only thing you could do is make food, which it would be like the uh, cedar twigs that you can untie them and scatter them to turn it into food. So the Gemara asked on Rav Huna tonight, we learned in the mission, the next thing he said, you can't cut up the fodder or the carrot before the animal, if it's big or small. So the mission said two things. We said the animal fodder or the carrots. So why don't we should compare the carrots that are like fodder. Just as fodder is usually softer, we're talking about carrots that are softer. And if, if they're softer, the animal can eat them the way they are. And the, the, the Mishnah is saying, you can't shred them further. I'm talking about It's like the second opinion that because the carrots are already a food the way they are, we're assuming that they're soft, just like the animal fodder, so they're edible the way they are. So since they're edible the way they are, the mission is saying you can't enhance the eating experience further for the animal by chopping it up smaller. So that's exactly like the second opinion. Once it is a food, you can't do any more terrifying. It's a kasha on the first opinion. It says the just the opposite. We're talking about fodder that's like carrots. Just the carrots are usually hard. So to the fodder that we're mentioning is too hard. So about a hard one and it needs to be softened in order to eat it and it, and and uh, and that's why it's also well how do you find such a thing a fodder that's too hard for an animal to eat you're talking about a young donkey even regular animal fodder is considered too hard so that's why the mission is offering because you're turning it into food we're talking about specifically very hard carrot we're talking about very hard fodder because well, we're talking about a young donkey and therefore it's not a food until you're going to chop it up and that's why it's also but if we're talking about softer carrot or the animal fodder that's the animal fodder that's softer for most animals, it would in fact be permitted to chop it up because then it's already a food and you're just doing enhancement, which is much according to Rafuna. Says the Gemara, another Kashmarafuna, Yuda said you could shred up the carrot for a small animal. Why? What's the shot? A small animal, not a big animal. So what's going on? 
What happens with Tanakama said you can't do more tirkal that's necessary, but that's it's all about just making it edible. But you can make food edible, but you can't do more than what's necessary. So that's why to enhance. So that's why Buda is saying for a small animal shredding up the carobs is also considered making food. It's not going to be able to eat it since it's small unless you chop it up. So in that all would go very nice like Rav Huna. You're allowed, like, like Rav Yehuda. You're allowed to do anything that makes food. You can't do anything that enhances. So therefore we'd be arguing whether for a small animal it's considered enhancement and it's also to chop up the carob or says Rav Yehuda, no, it won't eat it because its teeth are small so it won't eat it unless you chop it up and therefore it would be under the category of making food and not enhancing for food. But that's all good if you accept the premise that you're allowed to make food but not enhance food. If you all say like Rav Huna, that Tanakama holds that you make, cannot make food, you can only enhance food. So what is Rav Yehuda saying? You're allowed to cut up the carob for a small animal. Implies only a small animal, not a big animal. The opposite, for a large animal. The idea is you're allowed to do anything that's, uh, that's edible the way it is and you're only enhancing, meaning I'm not making a food, I'm only enhancing. Like Rav Huna, that's the Svara. So what's Rav Yehuda saying you're allowed to do it for a small animal? It should be for a small animal and certainly for a big animal because for a big animal, it's, it's going to be more edible the way it is. The whole idea is that it's, it, it's, it's easier for a big animal to eat something than a small animal because a small animal has smaller teeth. So if we're saying it's Rebuda saying it's even viewed as enhancement for a small animal and certainly for a big animal. So the Gemara says, Misava Daka, Daka Mamish, you think a small animal means literally small. My Daka, what does it mean by Daka? Gasa. He actually means a big animal. Michael the Daka, why is he calling it Daka the Daika of Ukla? Because a large animal chews food very well. So Rebuda is saying Dafka, you could do it for a big animal, not for a small animal. The Pashas in the Mishnah's Rebuda was saying Dafka for a small animal, not a big animal. The Mishnah, the Gemara is actually saying, no, 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 you got the term wrong. Daka means a big animal because it's very Daka, chews the food very well because it has such big teeth. So you could Dafka do it for a big animal. For a big animal, it's edible the way it is, so you're only enhancing it, so therefore it's mutter. But if it would be a small animal where you're making a food, then it would be asr. Says the Gemara, we look at the Tanakama's words. The Tanakama's words was, being Daka, being Gas, whether it's small or big. Clearly, the term here is small or big. Cloud review the Daka. Review says Daka, Daka Mama. She's saying Daka like literally small. So the Gemara says Kasha, that's a difficulty. And this ends up like, again, a very interesting disputed routine, Rav Huna and Rav Yehuda. According to Rav Huna, making food is totally usher. Enhancing food is mutter. And according to, 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 to Rav Yehuda, it's the exact opposite. Making food is mutter. Enhancing, once it's already edible, is usher. Says the Gemara Tashma, now let's ask in Rav Yehuda. It says, You're allowed to chop up a gourd in front of an animal. The gourd has already been cut. Right, you're not being violent quotes there. It's already been cut. So you're allowed to cut up the gourd for an animal thief. It's an avail of Nehaklavim, or a dead carcass in order for a dog to eat. You're allowed to do that on Chavez. So my love, blue and Dimendavila. We, the Mishnah is speaking about a gourd that's like a carcass. Just as a carcass is soft, we're talking about a gourd that's soft. And the Mishnah is still saying you're allowed to cut it up. Why? I, it's only enhancing it. You can improve something that's already edible. So you have to review the Kashan Review. The review the holes that once it's edible the way it is, you're not allowed to do any more terracotta to make them, to enhance the eating experience. So why is the Mishnah allowing you to cut, chop up the gourd? We're assuming the gourd is, is soft, just like a carcass. We're actually talking about a carcass that's like a gourd. Just as gourds are usually hard and have to be cut up, so do the carcass. We're talking about a very tough carcass that had to be cut up, and the mission is being matter because you're making it a food. Hey, how do you find such a case? We start peely elephant meat, which is very hard, so you have to cut it in order for the, it to eat it, and that's why it's mutter because it wouldn't be edible otherwise. Inami or otherwise. 
talking about the meat that's being given to little, little dogs, little puppy dogs, who wouldn't eat it if it wouldn't be cut off. So therefore it comes out, that's very good. The mission is only being matter because you're making a food, but if it would already be out otherwise, then Rabbi Yudah would actually answer it. Says the Gemara, one last question, Rabbi Yudah, Tashma. The Tani Rav Chanami Nardar, Chanami Nardar said in the Brides, so you can crumble up straw and different fodder, Ma'arvin, and mix them together. Now, the straw and the fodder, we assume you can eat them without crumbling. And the Mishnah is saying that you're allowed to crumble them. You see that even something that's edible, you can enhance uh, to do terakha ter- to make it more, more uh, good to eat. So the Kashan review does. The Gemara says, Tevin, because no, sorry, no, when we're talking about straw, we mean spoils straw. So you couldn't be able to eat it unless it was mixed with the fodder. As possible, either Zutri and the fodder, you'd have to crumble it, as we're talking about for a little donkey that can't eat it without, without it being crumbled. So therefore, you're actually making food, you're not enhancing. So that's the bottom line. We have a restriction here, something about food preparation, but it's a totally different perspective according to Rav Huna and Rav Yudah. According to Rav Huna, the perspective is you can do anything that enhances food, but you can't make food. According to Rav Yudah, it's the opposite. You can make food, but you can't enhance food. And that leaves the Gemara has defended both views on the differences between them. Okay, now we're talking about different ways of feeding animals, uh, different methods that they would use of feeding animals on Shabbos. So, ain't osin so You can't stuff up a camel. So they usually, you know, put a lot of camels. Camels can keep things for a very long time in their body. So, if you're going on, let's say, a long a journey with a camel, you want to stuff it up with food. So, you're not allowed to stuff it up with food um, on Shabbos. Below, you can feed it, but you can't do a stuffing. That's excessive tircha on Shabbos. Below, darsin or another kind of force feeding it. It's basically the same thing here. Abu Malitin, you could put food in the throat. Where the Gemara is gonna tell us what's the difference. You could, you could kind of force feed it, but not totally. We'll see what the distinction is in the, in the Gemara. Fima Minus Agolin, you can't fatten up a calf, meaning feed it more than it needs and fatten it up. Abu Malitin, same thing. You could, you could put food in the throat. Malitin is Golem, you could force feed a chicken. We'll see what that is. Most of my memorizing, you're also allowed to put water into their bran. Of a local as long as you don't need them together. So now we start another discussion because you're starting a dis- an interesting discussion about Lisha because you're mixing their bran with water. You're putting them together, but you're not kneading them. You're not taking your hands and actually like making it one thing. Like you, and those are the two steps of Lisha. You mix flour and water and then you take your hands and you knead them together. So the Mishnah Sarah is saying is that you're allowed to pour the water into the chicken bran on Shabbos as long as you don't knead the water and the bran together. You cannot put water in front of bees or doves because they don't need the water. They can get water themselves. So you're, you're not allowed to feed on Shabbos animals that don't need it at all. So you can't put the water there. You could put the water in front of geese, chickens, different types of pigeons. You're allowed to do that because they um, are fed. And since they are, it's necessary for the, for, for the owner to feed them, so the, the Chazal said you're allowed to do that, give them food and water on Shabbos. Okay, so the first thing we said, we were talking about the camels, we said osis. The Mark says, my osis, what does it mean you can't stuff them up? I'm like, avos, but so The term comes to you can't make a trough in their belly. What does it mean to make a trough in their belly? You stuff so much in them that their belly like looks like a trough. So Mark says, Mika Kai Gavin, is there such a thing? Like see, you feed so much that it goes like that. So Mark says, in yes, once said, the Hutai once on air, the Ofa Kuravatino Kurav. He fed his its camel a whole core. And then he put in a whole more core on its back for the for the for the journey. So we see that you can put an entire core into a camel on Chavez. You shouldn't be surprised by such a thing. And then we say you can't fatten a calf. 
right? You're allowed to put food in their throat. So what's the distinction? Obviously, there's a certain amount that you could force feed them, but not more. So what is the distinction? What is an action that's fattening and what is something that's putting food in the throat? So fattening, which is also as you put it, the food all the way back in the throat that the animal cannot bring it back. It's so deep in the throat that it's going to be forced to swallow. But just putting food in their throat, which is okay, is if you're putting it in an area where the food can still be brought back off. No, actually, both of them are putting it so far in the back of the throat that it can't bring the food back. But fanning is where it's done with the kli, like you put a spoon all the way in, in, into its throat. Putting food is just when it's done by hand, so you're allowed to do it with hand as opposed to doing it with a kli. So we have two different views here on the distinction. Is the idea that you can't force feed it to all the way in the back of the throat versus in the front of the throat, which, front of the throat, which is okay? Or is the idea that the, the way you're doing it? Are you doing it with a kli, which is also versus doing it with a hand, which is okay? So the Gemara, so the Gemara continues. Most of Yosef, Yosef is the kasha from the price up. Right here is talking about chickens, and again, there's not really a distinction between chickens and the other things. There's just different terms in Hebrew used for when you're feeding the chicken and uh, the cat. So the, here, the, the bride says, You can do mahalkatin, some sort of force feeding for the chicken. And certainly an easier form of feeding, which is called malkitin. However, that's all for chickens. But for doves, which don't really need your food, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to feed them. You can't even do malkitin. And certainly not Mahalkatin. So my Mahalkatin and my Malkitin. So what do we mean by these two terms? If the first one term, Mahalkatin, the force feeding is where you're putting it, uh, it is where you're putting it with your hand, just putting food in the throat with your hand, and feeding them just means you put the food in front of them. Does that mean that with the doves, you can't even put food in front of them at all? The Gemara doesn't assume that makes sense. If you're not doing much terech at all, not putting it in their throat, you're just putting it in front of them. There's no reason it should be us. Elab must be force feeding means you put the food with your even even my hand, but you're putting it into the chicken's throat where it can't come back up. And and feeding is where you're putting it in the throat, but it could bring back up. So the distinction is how deep it's going. And the bryser then is coming out that uh, you're allowed to feed a chicken with hand, even if it's so far back that the chicken can't bring it back. And um, that's all, that's okay for a chicken. And we're saying for a dove, you can't force feed it at all. You can't put into the throat. So then what was the Mishnah Asring? If we're saying that the mission, the bride here is allowing you to put all, even all the way in the back of the throat of the chicken. And again, there's, we assume there's no halakha distinction between chickens and calves, it's just different terms. So we're allowed to put it all the way back in the back of the throat of a, of a chicken. So what was the Mishnah answering? What can be forbidden with the, with the, with the, with the, with the calves? It must be the thing is that's also the hamra and the cloud and rubber cleave. What's also is to use a more forceful thing like using a cleave. Because according to Rev Yehuda, we weren't saying that distinction. We were saying the distinction is how far back it was. And we were offering putting it all the way back where it can't come back. But now we're saying, no, it's mutter. It emerges from the prices that it's always mutter to do it even if it can't come back. The only thing that's also is to use a cleave. So the Gemara answers, really force feeding means you're doing it by hand. Meaning you're not putting it all the way in the back of the throat. That's the answer. And, 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 and force feeding just means you're putting it in their throat, but not in the place where it can't come back. Feeding just means you put it in front of them. Which you add if it just means in putting it in front of them, that what could be the problem with a dove just putting food in front of them? The answer is, these chickens, they need their food from you. They're depending on you for the food. But the doves, 
Um, they don't depend on you for the food. So therefore, even though you're not doing so much, all you're doing is putting the food in front of them. You're not even putting it in the throat. It's asr. And that's why the Gemara is saying in Chiddush now. That if the, the animal is not dependent on you for the food, you can't do anything whatsoever. Forget about force feeding, putting it in their throat, even just putting it in front of them is in fact forbidden if they don't need you for the food. But it's coming out. We've defended that it's possible even for animals that are dependent on you for the food, you can put it in front of them. You can even put it in their throat. But you cannot put it so deep in their throat in a place that it cannot come back. And where do we see this idea that you can't put it in front of an animal that you don't have to feed? You can't do anything at all because it's not like it says in the bride, no such name is also like cat. You can put food in front of a dog because the dog needs you for her food. But not a pig. A pig can, can find food very easily themselves. Mahabishman says, what's the difference? The dog needs you for its food. The pig doesn't, doesn't depend on you for the food. In fact, you're not allowed to raise pigs. That's one of the halachas. So uh, this is one of the takanas. So you could keep a dog, not a pig. So the pig, you're not allowed to feed on Travis, and the dog, you could. Okay. We see this from the Mishnah as well, that the doves that can get food on their own, forget about putting food in their throat. You, you cannot even put food in front of them at all. Because it said, You can't put water in front of bees or, or the doves. You could put the water in front of the geese, chickens, and doves. So my time, what's the difference? What's the difference? Must be these ones need their food from you, and the bees do not. And that's why here you're just putting water in front of them. You're not like pouring it down their throat. And still we're making the distinction. You can only put the water in front of those that actually need you to do it. So the Gemara says, according to what you're saying, my area, my, why is the Mishnah only talking about water? You shouldn't even allow to put wheat or barley in front of the doves because they can get it on their own. So why are we talking about water? Maybe you could say that really water is different. It's only water that you can't give to the bees and the, and, and, and the regular dove katov because water is so easily available. But for something that's not so easily available, Let's say they're wheat or barley, even if they could technically get it themselves, maybe it would be different. Maybe you would be allowed to. So we don't necessarily have a proof to what we've said. Again, the discussion is something where an animal could get it by themselves, so they're not dependent upon you. But it's not like so easy for them to get it. Are you allowed to put it in front of them on Travis or not? And we're ending up that there's two different opinions on that. Says the Gemara Darch, Ravina, Pisla de Venusir, Ravina once made a drasha right at the entrance to the, the, the Benesir's house. Mind if what's the meaning of the Pasuk? That uh, the, the Tzadik knows that's real suffering of the poor. So what does this mean? Baruch is the one who knows about the dog, it doesn't get, uh, doesn't get enough food because nobody really gives the dog enough food. No one has enough compassion on the dog. Baruch in his infinite wisdom decided that a dog's body can keep food for a very long time. Where do we see that the body doesn't of a dog doesn't break down food for a long time? Because it's not like it says in a Mishnah, we're talking about where 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 a dog ate something that was tummy, whether or not when it come, if it would theoretically be spit out or if it would be uh, be thrown up, whether the tumma would still be there. Once it has already been processed by the body and uh, is broken down, then at that point it would no longer have the tumma. But before it's broken down, it would have the tumma. So how long? Uh, is the food in the stomach and it still is considered to be food. So Bekelev in a dog, it's, it's, it's three days before the, it break, the food is broken down. Of also talking about by fish or birds, it's very short amount of time. Because people obviously are as long as the amount of time it would take the food to fall into a fire and get and get totally destroyed. So obviously huge discrepancy between dogs and 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 and, and a bird. 
And the idea is that the dog, HaKadosh Baruch Hu made, that the food is kept in his stomach for a much longer time. Amar Funesh Mamina, what do we see from here? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is so nice to the dog. Orach Ara, Kalba. It's very nice, very proper to throw meat to a stray dog, even if it's not yours. A person should have compassion on dogs just the same way HaKadosh Baruch Hu does. Vakama, how, how much meat should we give the dog? Amar Mari, Mishach Unne Vachotra Basri. You should give it uh, meat the size of its, of its ear and afterwards have a stick. What does that mean? Meaning like send it away. Why? Because you don't want. Uh, the dog to start tagging after you, the stray dog, so you, you send it away quickly with the stick. Says the Gemara, the David is only true if it's a desert, it's not a lot of people, but Mata, in, in, in the city, a person should never give it any meat. Does the Mizrach? It's going to come to tag along after you, and Rashi says it's going to cost you a lot of money. You can't necessarily afford all the meat to give to the dog, so you shouldn't give it at all in the city. There's no, there's no animal that's, that's poorer than a dog. And there's no creature that is richer than the pig. Because it seems that pigs, you know, can eat any food whatsoever, so it gets its meals. And uh, even more, people feed pigs very well. So pigs get really fat, and dogs are always very poor. Says the Gemara, we have a price that says like Rabbi Yudah, remember about the fattening in the Mishnah, what did it mean? Does it mean putting all the way in the back of the throat? That's what's also, or does it mean feeding with a clee? That's what's also. So we have a price like Rabbi Yudah, because it says, what's the difference between the terms of Hamra, which is also an altar, which is okay. Hamra, is where you bring the animal down, sits it on the knees, you put it open its mouth, so the animal is not going to be able to open, to close the mouth. You feed it some sort of beans and water at the same time, so the food is going to be forced down the throat, cannot spit it out. So that's what's forbidden. Whereas just putting food down the throat, you, you put the food down its throat while it is standing. You water while it's standing without forcing its mouth to stay open. And you pour the beans and the water separately. So the distinction here is not about using clear or not. The distinction is whether it has its shot of bringing the food back up, uh, bringing the food back up or not. So now we start the next discussion. The next discussion was if a person has, wants to put water, you're allowed to feed the chicken, you want to put water into their bran. So you could do that. You can mix the water with the bran, but you can't knead it. So Amar Abayim Misa Kamei Demar, I said in front of, in front of the master, who's Rav Yosef, who's our Mishnah? Our Mishnah holds that there's no problem of Lisa just for mixing the water in the bran. As long as you don't mix them, you don't knead them with your hands. So Amar Lee, he said, who's our Mishnah? Let's say you have flour and water. One person puts them together. Then what happens? Whoever put the, the second one is chayv because they did lisha. According to Rebbe, the malacha of lisha is defined just by the two things mixing. So just putting the second one together with the first one already violates lisha, according to Rebbe. Whereas just putting the two things together is not a problem of lisha until they're actually kneaded together, meaning you manually put, take your hands and, and, and knead them into a dough. And it's a very, very, very fundamental machlok about lisha. Is it just mixing the two things together, the liquid and the solid, like the flour and the water, or is it about the gibel, the actual manual uh, kneading? So our Mishnah is going like Rabbi Yehuda. That's why the Mishnah is matter putting the water in the bran. As long as you're not actually kneading it together, then you're not violating Lisha. So the Gemara says, that's not a proof. Maybe Dilma, I can look at Rabbi Yehuda. Why did Rabbi say there 
Elokamach, by flour, Devar Gibu, because it's still kneadable. Meaning, because there's more to do, because kneading, kneading it manually will make it into like a dough, there we say that the malacha is not done until you actually knead it together. Avomorsum, but when you're just dealing with brand, the labar who once you mix it together, there's no more kneadable thing. It's not like viewed as a kneadable thing. It's not going ever to become like a dough. Then I feel the Rebuzi would also Rebuzi would also agree that just adding water is also meaning that is its kneading. If it's something that turns into like a dough, like flour and water, then just mixing it is not a malacha until you actually knead it together. But when I'm talking about bran and water, which never really turns into a dough, it just more is that they're two mixed things are mixed together. So then maybe you're chayav just for mixing them together. That's the idea that the Gemara is trying to suggest. And the Gemara says lo sokadaitach, but it's not true. The Tani Badi it says it in a price explicitly. knows in my and you can't put water into bran. If you're Rebbe, according to Rebbe. Because just mixing the water and the bran together is a problem. Rabbi Yisrael says, no sin maim lamor son. You're allowed to put water into bran. So even though we're talking about bran, which can never become like dough, Rabbi Yisrael is still saying that you can, that Rabbi Yisrael is still saying that you're allowed to, um, you're allowed to put them together. Even evidently something that becomes like it's something that can never become like dough, so it's not missing anything more after you mix them together. Rabbi Yisrael still says, he still says that the Allah is that Lisha is only violated when you actually need them. So it comes out a fascinating point then. So let's think about it. According to Rabbi Yisrael if you have bran and bran and water, you can never really violate Lisha because just putting them together, um, just putting them together is definitely not a darai. So that's definitely not a problem. You're allowed to do it. And then kneading them together isn't really going to do lisha. It's not going to bring them, make them like dough. So it's also only with Rabbanon to actually use your hands and manually do it according to Rabbi Yisrael Rabbi Yehuda. And there, there, there's no real way to violate on a darai level to violate lisha with something like, uh, like bran. And we'll pick up more with more of these halachos uh, next time.